Welcome to Strand Baptist Church Podcast. We have officially entered lockdown level one. With that, we will have podcast episodes released every Tuesday and every Thursday. I trust that this will be a blessing to you. God bless. Welcome to Strand Baptist Church Podcast. Today, on this Tuesday, with me I have, well, me. I'm all alone. <laughs> all alone this week. It is strange, but I trust that it would be a blessing for you. And as has been the pattern, uh, the week after the sermon, we discuss, or today I discuss, some elements of the Sunday that has just gone by. Now, uh, this Sunday that has just passed us, we heard a sermon and we participated in the Lord's Supper. It's been seven months since we have done so. The Lord's Supper is significant. I believe that was impressed upon our hearts, upon our minds on the Sunday by our pastor. And in these seven months, there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of debate surrounding the Lord's Supper. One crucial debate, one big debate amongst friends was with regards to whether or not one could partake, participate in communion online. Some call this virtual communion or online communion. Now, whether you think that is good or not is not the point of today's discussion. The point is simply this. Everyone believes that this is important. The Lord's Supper really matters. And praise the Lord, we could partake on this past Sunday. Now, the Lord's Supper is so important that throughout church history, it has met countless events wherein there have been much controversy. Peter alluded to some of it, the leaven and the unleavened bread in the Western Church and the Eastern Church and the debate surrounding that in the 19th century or the 20th century, I could be mistaken. Uh, there was a debate with regards to alcoholic wine or non-alcoholic wine. And with regards to the Protestants and the Roman Catholics, we have issues of transubstantiation. Amongst Protestants even, we have differences amongst ourselves. The Lord's Supper is important. And I wish to emphasize that both today and on Thursday. And in order to do so, I want to give a brief historical survey, as it were, detailing some of the development that took place with regards to the Lord's Supper. Now, I cannot do 2,000 years of church history on this topic as much as I would like to. <laughs> um, I've actually done that before at Strand Baptist Church, but... That was in a Bible study, and there is no way I'm going to be able to do that over two episodes on a podcast. So what I'm going to do is briefly look at the Lord's Supper, Lord's Supper and its significance in the time of the Reformation. And in order to do that, I'm going to look at uh, Martin Luther, Huldrych Zwingli, and John Calvin, and most importantly, 
the Bible. <laughs> so we're going to look at these three figures, Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, and of course the Holy Scripture. Now in 1529, the German Prince Philip of Hesse arranged for Martin Luther and Zwingli and their respective allies to meet at the castle in Marburg to broker a theological agreement. Now, Philip's motivation at the time was in no serious way theological. He wanted to establish a military alliance between the German Lutherans in the north and the Swiss Reformed in the south for the mutual protection of their interests in the face of potential hostile action from the church of the, of the Holy Roman Empire. Now, these discussions at Marburg displayed a significant amount of theological agreement. It is said that 14 out of the 15 points discussed were agreed upon between Luther and his allies and Zwingli and his allies, although at one point there was a major disagreement. Just one point. And the point was this. Was the whole Christ in his divine and human nature present in the elements of bread and wine at the Lord's Supper? Now this disagreement, it is said, got extremely heated. And at one point, Martin Luther, banging on the table with passion and zeal, shouted, This is my body! This is my body! For there was much disagreement between Martin Luther and Zingli on the nature of what that phrase meant. Luther believed it should be taken literally, Zwingli, that it should be taken symbolically. Now, why was Martin Luther so passionate about the Lord's Supper? Well, much of the reason relates to Luther's journey as a Christian. When you read of Martin Luther, you read very early on of his fear of God. Luther was always afraid to stand before a righteous God, for he knew his sinfulness. Martin Luther knew and he feared God. He thought to himself, how could I, a sinful man, come into the presence of God? And when Martin Luther was required to officiate a mass, he was so afraid to be blunt here, make God and handle God as he would consecrate and distribute the elements. And the solution to Martin Luther's fear was the graciousness of God manifest in human frailty. And he believed that the Lord's Supper brought the whole Christ, human and divine, to the recipient. Unlike the Roman Catholic Mass, where the action was from earth to heaven, as the elements were offered up to God, Martin Luther believed that in the Lutheran Mass, yes, he retained the term Mass, although he transformed the meaning, he believed that in the Lutheran Mass, Christ came to earth, and Christ was offered to the congregants in the context of the proclamation of the gospel. So that is a massive difference for Martin Luther. So unlike the Roman Catholics where they would offer up the elements to God, a sacrifice was offered, so-called, 
Martin Luther said no. Christ came down. Christ came down. And he saw in the Mass a, a promise. That, that is why for Martin Luther, the preaching of the Word and the Mass would go together. Grasping Christ by faith in the Word was necessary for grasping Christ by faith in the Supper. He could not have one without the other. Martin Luther said, If we desire to observe Mass properly and to understand it, then we must surrender everything that the eyes behold and that the senses, or that the senses suggest, be it vestments, bells, songs, ornaments, prayers, processions, elevations, prostrations, or whatever happens in the Mass, until we first grasp and thoroughly ponder the words of Christ, by which he performed and instituted the Mass, and commanded us to perform it. For therein lies the whole Mass, its nature, work, profit, and benefit. Without the words, nothing is derived from the Mass. So do you see that? The priority of God's Word is clear for Luther. And this he saw as the major point of connection. And this reinforces again that the action is from God to us. The Mass is full of grace, Luther believed and taught, because it is full of Christ. And he believed that only in the flesh of Christ do we find God's grace. Now this helps to explain why Luther responded so passionately, so zealously, and so negatively to Zwingli. In, excuse me, in Zwingli's theology of the Lord's Supper, there were two major foundational elements. There was the horizontal dimension, wherein Zwingli derived this meaning from the Latin word sacramentum, where he saw a military oath by which soldiers would bind themselves together. And he saw the Lord's Supper as a rite by which Christians committed themselves to each other. A communal meal that reinforced communal loyalty and identity. To quote Zwingli here, he says, The sacrament, this is the Lord's Supper, fill the office of an oath of allegiance. For those who use one and the same oath become one and the same race and sacred alliance, uniting to one body and one people, and he who betrays it is false to his oath. Now, for Martin Luther, such a notion smacks too much of law, not gospel. In other words, it is something we do, not something God does, and therefore not a matter of grace. Martin Luther did not find that satisfactory. Now, the second aspect of Zwingli's thought to which Luther objected was his insistent, insistence that the words of institution be understood symbolically. The, the phrase, this is my body, actually meant this symbolizes my body, is what Zwingli taught. And for Luther, this cast the supper as nothing more than a memorial, with the benefits it offered being the opportunity for remembering the sacrifice of Christ. Now, Zwingli writes this. Zwingli says, Yet the sacraments do work faith, 
historical faith. For all festivals, trophies, nay, monuments and statues work historical faith. That is, they call to mind that a certain thing once took place, the memory of which is thus refreshed, as was the case with the festival of the Passover among the Hebrews. In this way, then, the Lord's Supper worketh faith. That is, it signifies as certain that Christ was born and suffered. For Luther, this was problematic. He objected on three grounds. Number one, Luther believed that the words should be read literally and not symbolically. Number two, Luther believed that this removed from the supper the incarnate Christ. And only in the incarnate Christ does one find a gracious God. And third, he says, by making the supper a memorial, it makes the benefit that it provides something dependent on the recipient, not something objective, objectively offered to the recipient. To use Luther's language, this makes the sacrament law something we do, we must remember, we must recall, and not gospel, not something God does, and therefore not a matter of grace. Now, that is a whole lot there. <laughs> I hope that that was somewhat helpful to just distinguish Luther's view and Zwingli's view. And also to understand that these things are so, so important that the Protestants thought it important enough to argue about. Next time, or rather on Thursday, we'll look at John Calvin and his contribution to the theology of the Lord's Supper. And with that, of course, we'll go to the Bible and see why the Lord's Supper is as important as we believe it to be. God bless.